0: Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today is part three of a four-part series I'm doing called Great Cities of the Bible. The first one was Damascus and number two was Babylon. And now let's learn a little bit about the great city of Rome. I read, I did Damascus first because it was among the first cities mentioned in the Bible and the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. And I chose Babylon to go second because its presence from Genesis to Revelation dominates the Bible's spiritual and historical landscape. Now we turn to Rome. Got Questions notes that, quote, Rome is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but figures prominently in the New Testament. Although the city of Rome is not directly mentioned, every place and event in the New Testament has Roman rule as its background. End quote. Now part of the reason I'm doing this series is because we tend to be myopic. In our day and age thinking we're the most advanced or the most sophisticated or our culture is the best. Now it's hard to physically go see what it was like in Babylon because that city is mostly a ruin now and Damascus is considered to be one of the most beautiful cities in the Arab world but sadly the ongoing 12-year war has destroyed a lot of it by now. But Rome, Rome, you can wander the streets and see many buildings from the Bible days still intact. One can envision Paul standing up in court or writing his jail epistles from Rome, which were Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. We can visit the Colosseum, where so many Christians were martyred. Rome is both the city itself and was an empire. Its urban setting is also kind of a character itself in the Bible. It is a hist- city passed from Bible days, and it's a thriving city today. And it is potentially a Roman Empire future in prophecy. Rome was the oppressor of the Jews in Judea, but its engineered roads allowed for the dispersed believers to bring the gospel to the world. It was first called, quote, the Eternal City by the Roman poet Tibullus in the first century B.C. And the expression was also taken up by Ovid, Virgil, and Livy. Rome is also called the Caput Mundi, or capital of the world. And that quote was from Wikipedia. The Eternal City. Rome is also known, has a nickname called City of Seven Hills, due to the fact that it is founded on seven hills, and those hills provide a backdrop to much of the landscape of the city. Now, this may become important later, this nickname, when in prophecy, discussed more in the postscript at the end. Now, for almost a thousand years, the continent's people were either one of the unfortunate tribes conquered and absorbed into the vastly growing Roman Empire, or they were one of the privileged Romans citizens enjoying the engineering marvels the Romans invented and especially Pax Romana, which was the widespread peace during the 200 years of the empire's height. Paul the Apostle was a Roman citizen, and this fact allowed him to escape one of the intended beatings, also to stand in a Roman court and please his, plead his case. And at the end, legend says, to be given the less painful execution of beheading that was allowed for its citizens. Rome was said to be founded around 625 BC, in the areas of ancient Italy's center known as Etruria and Latium. Etruria was home to the mysterious people of the Etruscans, from which we get the name Tuscany. Not much is known about the Etruscans except they were a sophisticated culture. They were master bronze smiths. Their tombs were expertly painted and they formed city-states all over Tuscany as far south as Rome. And they even began sewer projects and other construction projects in Rome. It is said that the Etruscans had a heavy influence on the conquering Romans. And for about 100 years or so, there was emerging in an overlap of the Etruscans and the Romans, and this period is known as the Age of Kings. It came to an end when the Etruscans disappeared and the Roman Republic was born, about 510 BC. It was during this time that Romans codified their laws and they were led by the citizens mostly the the upper class senators and knights. The Romans continued to expand their empire with masterful military strategies and a lot of successful victories. By 338 BC, they had conquered the entire Italian peninsula, not just the middle where the Etruscans had lived and been conquered. And a few years after that, Rome gained control of the Mediterranean as a dominant maritime power. And the time of Jesus' birth, through his death and resurrection, the rise of the church and the last of the apostles, first-generation witnesses, was known as the Imperial Rome Era, from about 31 BC to 90 AD and beyond. During that period, Rome saw decades of peace, Prosperity and expansion. The maximum land expansion occurred in about 117 AD, around when the Apostle John died. Its empire spanned three continents, including Asia Minor, Northern Africa, and most of Europe, as far north as Scotland. It must have seemed to the believers of that era that Rome was an eternal city, Massive and solid and never to end. Unlike many other conquering empires, Rome did allow worship of personal gods. They were a pantheistic society. Now, to contrast that, we remember in Daniel 1, when Nebuchadnezzar besieged and conquered Jerusalem and carried off its captives. We read Daniel 1, to 6-7, Among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials set names for them. For Daniel, he set the name Belteshazzar, for Hananiah, Shadrach, for Mishael, Meshach, and for Azariah, Abednego. That practice of forced assimilation was common. Those boys were given new names, forced to eat what was eaten by the natives, and forced to worship what the natives worshipped, namely the king. But unusually for an empire, that was not Rome's practice. Here's the definition of assimilation. Assimilation is one outcome of acculturation. It involves the complete adoption of the ways of life of the new cultural group resulting in the assimilated group losing nearly all of its original or native culture. And of the definition of assimilation, but, of, um, but that did, isn't what Rome did. Captured peoples from the many wars were brought to Rome as slaves, but they were allowed to practice their religion and allowed to maintain their own culture. The building in Rome called the Pantheon was originally a temple built for all Roman gods and then later any gods. Pan means all, theos means gods. The Pantheon in Rome actually is one of Rome's best preserved buildings to this day. The Roman Empire, quote, was primarily polytheistic civilization. That meant people recognized and worshipped multiple gods and goddesses. But despite the presence of monotheistic religions within the empire, like Judaism and early Christianity, Rome honored multiple deities. They believed that these deities served a role in founding the Roman civilization and that these deities helped shape events of people's lives on a daily basis. Romans paid allegiance to the gods in public spaces and in private homes. But while the Roman state recognized main gods and goddesses by decorating public buildings, fountains with their images, families worshiping at home could also put special emphasis on the deities of their choosing. End quote from National Geographic. Now, the Jews in Judea were overseen, or oppressed, by Rome, which sent that land governors and soldiers to keep the peace. But largely, except for taxes to keep up the empire, the Jews were allowed to continue as they were, spiritually and culturally. Romans built things, bridges, temples, mansions, aqueducts, and roads. They had sewers, they had hot and cold running water, they had spas. They built coliseums for their beloved games. And it was those flat, straight roads that allowed the dispersing Christians to take the gospel to the outermost parts of the empire and beyond. It was the spread of the Latin language in the huge empire that allowed folks to understand one another when sharing the gospel with natives. The Roman influence on art and architecture was massive and stands to this day. Romans loved games, competitions. They built many amphitheaters to play them in. The round and oval stadiums we see today are derived from the Romans. You know, Any football game looks remarkably like the Colosseums of Rome. And they even held nomachia, in them or sea battles they engineered a system where the amphitheaters could be flooded to host maritime competitions with ships with ships now that always gets me that's really amazing as far as the roads go i'll pause here from my blog post to relate a personal anecdote i visited italy a number of times in the 90s and several of the times uh, we rented a car and drove all around and we were driving and we came to a road that was very very small very narrow and it was gravel it was felt almost like a driveway you know how they say all roads lead to rome well we got to the end of this narrow road we weren't sure where we are came to an intersection a lot of woods all around it felt very remote and then there was a sign pointing to rome i guess it was true all roads did lead to rome Now, because of their sophisticated government, their art, their engineering, culture, and lifestyle, the Romans often referred to all the other tribes as barbarians. They really deeply believed they were a superior race to, say, the Germanic tribes or the Celts, both of which they'd conquered. However, the Romans, for all their marvels, sophistication in the arts, They were still pagans, which means they were barbaric themselves. I mean any culture that enjoys live bloody competitions to the death, which invents crucifixion as a method of execution, or dips Christians in tar and sets them alight for garden illumination, is barbaric themselves. And no veneer of art or poetry or law, can hide that fact that without Christ, any society will die. And the Romans did. After the Pax Romana era came to a close, the city began a long, slow decline until 410 AD, when the Visigoth king Alaric successfully sacked the city of Rome, and the eternal city was no more. Now here's a postscript. After Alaric and the beginning of the Middle Ages, Rome slowly fell under the political control of the popes, and in the 700s, Rome became the capital of the papal states, which lasted until 1870. Even today, Vatican City is a sovereign state inside Rome. Did you know it's its own country? You need a passport to go in, just like any other country. The Pope is one of the very last absolute monarchs on earth. I'll give you a definition here of absolute monarchy, which Vatican City is governed by, quote, a form of government in which a single person, usually a king or queen, holds absolute autocratic power. In absolute monarchies, the succession of power is usually hereditary, with the throne passing among members of a ruling family. End quote. And here is some a fact about absolute monarchies. There are currently five in the world today: Brunei, Eswatini, which I have no idea where that is, Oman, Saudi Arabia, and Vatican City. Now, in Revelation seventeen seven, we read that Babylon the Harlot is riding on a beast, having seven heads and seven ten horns. The seven heads are called seven hills, or seven mountains. In verse nine, now remember that seven hills nickname the city of seven hills. Now, everyone at the time that that passage was written was so familiar with Rome being called the City of Seven Hills that it's likely they all understood that figurative language to be Rome. Now, as Daniel 2 describes the flow of the world empires from beginning to end, in his vision of that statue, will that last empire be a revived Roman Empire? One that includes an absolute monarchy? a monarchy that exists today, led by a false prophet of the Catholic Church? Many think so, believe that Vatican City or the Catholic Church or Rome as a revived empire will play a part in the very end of the end times. But time will tell. Further reading, I've included some really good um, resources. I'm currently reading a book called SPQR. A History of Ancient Rome. There's an essay called Rome and the Apostle Paul, you know, Paul's dealings with Rome. That's short and really interesting. And another essay, What is the Significance of Rome in the Bible? from Got Questions. And John MacArthur's Sermon, The Rise and Fall of the World, Part Three, he details some interesting things about a revived Roman Empire. So today was part three, Rome, and tomorrow I will finish the series with looking at Jerusalem. This has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.